Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning. We are going to continue. We're in week eight of our series, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. If you've not been with us, tracking with us for the last few weeks, I encourage you to go back to our Facebook page or our website and kind of catch up with us. Uh, as we've gone through the series, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything, what we've discovered is that Paul has established really a couple of things that we need to know. Here's the first thing, is that Jesus really is enough. Amen. He's enough. No matter what you're pursuing in life, maybe it's hope, maybe it's peace, maybe it's joy, maybe it's comfort, whatever you're pursuing, it's not Jesus plus anything to equal that. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's just Jesus. He is enough. And Paul builds this case in chapter 1 and 2 that Jesus is sufficient, but he also lets us know that the philosophies of this world all fall short. The philosophies of this world, all of them, all of them, are insufficient. And none of them can meet the, I mean, the philosophies may tell you they can bring you peace, they can bring you joy, they can bring you hope, but what we find out in the end, they all fall short. And so Paul says, because Jesus is enough, and what the world offers is not enough, we need to make sure that we are guarding our heart, that we're keeping our mind in check, and our testimony in check. And last week we saw how Paul told us in Colossians chapter 3 how we're to keep our heart, our mind, and our testimony in check. He told us two things last week. First of all, he said there's some things in your life that you've got to put to death. There's some things in your life that you have to kill, that you have to bring under submission. There's some things in your life that you can't let linger and just kind of hover over you. You literally have to put them to death. And these sins were sins extremely personal in nature, if you remember. But then he says there's some things in your life that you've got to put aside. And literally the translation is you've got to take off. There are things that you put on in your life that you have to take off. So he mentions things like anger, wrath, malice, slander, and, and all these different things. He said, listen, there's some things you've got to put to death. There's some things in your life that you've got to put aside. And then he gives us a third thing that we've got to do if we're going to keep our heart and mind in check as well as our testimony. And we find that in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. And so I'm going to ask you, I know you just sit down, but if you would stand with me in honor reading God's word, I want to read two verses this morning. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul gives us a third thing that we need to do. Here it is. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has complained against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also what? Forgive. forgive. Let's pray. God, I love you, and I pray that these words would just jump off the page today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would, would grab our hearts and take these words and help us take a hard look at our own life. Help us decide what are some things in our lives that we need to be putting on, as Paul says, that we've not put on at all. So God, be with us, bless us, speak to us this morning, and it's in your son's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Now, as you look at the passage, they're really, I know you're like, Doug, that's only two verses, but we need to spend some time here, because I've heard this passage preached on many a number of times, and usually we kind of skip over some things that I feel like are super crucial. So there's three things I want you to notice that Paul is going to establish to this church of Kyle. Say, remember, he's just told them, there's some things you've got to put to death, there's some things you've got to put aside. But then he shifts the narrative and tells them something else. Look with me in verse 12 again, what he says. He says this. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now stop right there just for a moment. One of the things I love about what Paul does, think about this. He starts off with the first thing I want you to know is he reminds them who they are. 
He begins this whole passage by reminding them who they are. Now think about it. Why, why is that important? Because he's just told them, hey, listen, there's some sin in your life that's pretty intense, that's destroying you from the inside out, and you've got to kill that sin. And guess what? There's some sin in your life that you've put on that you've got to lay aside. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think about the sins in my life, the things that I'm dealing with, sometimes I feel a great sense of shame and guilt and remorse, and it just kind of gets me down. Anybody else in the room like that with me this morning? You wrestle with that. And so Paul shifts the narrative and says, listen, here's the one you want you to know. Yes, you've got to kill some things. Yes, you've got to put some things aside. But I don't want you to forget who you are. Don't forget your identity in Christ. And so he gives them three phrases. Here's the first one. You're chosen ones. Now I want to break that down a little bit because this word chosen literally means to be, have been selected. Anybody remember playing kickball in the playground when you were in school? Anybody? Only six of you must have played something else. Maybe you were gator hunting in Florida. I'm not sure. But on the playground, you're doing something. What's the one thing you do want to be picked? Last. last, right. Now, I won't ask you your pick last because I was, but you don't want to be picked last. But there's something about it. Like, I remember one day we were on the playground at O'Neill School, and my best buddy, Mark Lewis, and a guy I didn't care for too much, Chris Montgomery, they were picking, they were captains, and they were picking people. And my buddy, surely he's going to pick me first. Now, I mean, I was the, the dumpy kid and, you know, about as fast as a turtle and, you know, and so, and so I, I was there and he didn't pick me first and I was disappointed, but, but there were still 15 other people up there and so surely he won't be last and sure enough, about seventh he picked me. It was great. I mean, it was a, I wasn't last, but there was something about being selected that made me feel like I'm at, and he selected me over the other guy selecting me and that mattered to me. And Paul says, listen, I know you've got some things you've got to deal with. But don't forget who you are. Man, you've been chosen by God Almighty. Now, this word chosen, listen, if you've been in the Christian world for a while, this word chosen makes us super nervous, right? It's a, one of those words in the in scripture like, what do we do with that? Because there's some of you in the room who've maybe grown up in the church, been around the church, and you know that when you use the word chosen, that typically there's this tension that goes along with that as it relates to the doctrine of election. Now, the doctrine of election, just a doctrine about salvation. How does salvation occur? And the reason there's tension is because on one end, way over here, you've got people that go, you know what? God is in his sovereignty. He has gone through all the creation, selected heaven, hell, heaven, hell, heaven, hell. God has chosen that. And then on the other side of the spectrum, way over here, you've got people going, no, no, no. It's not about God's sovereignty. God wound up the clock, threw everything into motion, going, it's all about free will. Everybody gets a choice. And so for some of us, when we use the word chosen, it makes it uncomfortable. Let me just tell you where I land. You ready? Is God sovereign? Yes. Does man have a responsibility in the act of salvation? Yes. And I'm just going to live there. I'm okay with that. I'm absolutely okay with going, yes, God is sovereign, and yes, we have to respond. But the reason I'm going to spend any more time on that is because that's not the point that Paul's making here. He's not addressing a theological a doctrine that we need to address. He's letting them know that you've been chosen by God. Now, why is that important? Who was the primary ministry of Paul to? It was to the Gentiles, Right? And if there was a group, now there was Jewish Christians in the church of Colossae, but there was also Gentile Christians in the church of Colossae. And if there was a group of people that felt outcasted, if there was a group of people that felt like they didn't belong, guess who it was? It was the Gentiles. I mean, they were made to feel like many times like second class citizens. We said, well, dog, I don't believe that. We'll just go back and read Galatians. My men's group were going through Galatians, and we've paused and spent some time in the fact that there was a moment when Peter was eating with some Gentile Christians, and then when the Jewish people showed up, the, 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 those of a certain that were, uh, stature, that Peter begins to withdraw from the Gentiles and go hang out with the Jewish people, making the Gentile people feel like they were second-class citizens. 
And guess what? Paul rebukes Peter to his face. I mean, he like shuts him down because of what he does. And so Paul's wanting these Gentile Christians and the church of Colossae to know, hey, you've been chosen too. You belong, through Christ, you have been chosen too. Through Christ, you belong to the kingdom of God just like the Jewish Christians do. So he says you are chosen. That's a, that, listen, that would have been a big deal to the Gentile Christians reading this letter. You mean we're part of the family too? See, I would contend that Paul's not really trying to address a doctrinal issue. He's trying to address a heart issue. This really idea of chosen here, it really carries more the notion of adoption. I've adopted you into my family too. I've chosen you to be part of my kingdom too. I don't know about you, but you don't know this this morning. You need to know this, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been adopted into the family of God. We were aliens. We were strangers. The Bible says we were enemies of the Most High God. And when we put our faith in Christ, we became the adopted children of God. We too have been chosen. Amen? Amen. He says, you have been chosen ones. Now, I love the, the phrase ones here because there's plurality, which means Paul's not addressing individuals. He's addressing the corporate church. Now, why that's important is this. It's because he's just told them there's some personal sins you've got to address. But what I'm about to tell you it's how you're going to live within unity corporately. While you've got to address some things personally, I'm about to tell you some things that's going to help you live in unity corporately as the body of Christ. So he tells these early Christians of Colossae, you are chosen ones. Now I want you to look at your neighbor and go, you've been chosen by God. Okay, you need to say that a little bit more convincing because you may have had a fight before you got here this morning and you don't want to say it, I get it. So turn to somebody else maybe, but look at them and say, you've been chosen by God. Hey, listen, and he didn't choose you last. You went on this long line of going, well, you know what? I guess I'll settle for Doug. I guess I, he's the only one. Is there anybody else wanting to play? I mean, there's no, 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 no. Through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, through faith, we are chosen children of the Most High God. And I'm laboring it because I think some of you need to know that this morning. Some of us know that, yeah, we got some sin to address. Yeah, there's some of it's personal. Yeah, some of it's social sins, like anger. But at the end of the day, here's what you need to know. Don't ever forget who you are. You belong to him. He said you're chosen. And then he says you are holy. And that word holy just means to be set apart or to be separate. In other words, he said, listen, because you're chosen by God, God has called you to be set apart. God has called you to live in such a way that does not look like the world. Now, these sins that I've asked you to address, if you don't address them and they stay in your life, all these sexual sins and all this anger and wrath, guess who you look like? You look like the world. When you let these sins reign and rule and hover in your life, you look just like the world. So I want to remind you, you have been chosen by God and you've been called to be holy, to be set apart, to act different, to think different. May the words out of your mouth be different than the people that are lost in this world. And the problem with Christianity for so many of us is, if I were to ask your coworkers, your neighbors, your employers, your employees, do you look different? What would they say about you? Man, I hope they say, you know what, there's, I don't know what it is, but there's something about them. The way they carry themselves, their disposition, their attitude, their words, their work ethic, man, there's something different about those people. He says, I want you to know you're holy. Then he says one last thing, which is my favorite word. He says, you are chosen ones, you are holy, and you are beloved. Beloved. Now, here's what that word means. It means you are the object of his deep affection. 
Think about that. You are the object of God's deep affection. Do you remember when David cried out, who am I that you are mindful of me? You remember that in the Psalms when he said that? Now, what I find fascinating about that statement is this. Here's what David's saying. He said, God, when I look through all the world, look through all eternity, when I think about it, here's what I realize. I'm a small blip on the great radar of eternity. And I can't even fathom the idea that you are thinking about me, that you care about me, that the deepest of your affections are directed toward me, that I am the object of your deep affection. That's why the New Testament says that God has lavished his love on us. What does it look like? I don't know, but I want it. Don't you? He says, listen, I want you to know that you are beloved. Yes, you're chosen. Yes, you're called to be holy. But don't forget this. You are beloved. You are the object of God's deep affection. Is that good news this morning? Man, I'm telling you. Some of you need that this morning. Some of you have been beat up, bruised, and battered spiritually, and you need to know that despite dealing with the sin in your life, that you've been chosen by God. You're called to be holy, but you are the object of his greatest affections, is you. Not just everybody else, but you. So he builds this case of who they are, and in light of that, look what he says in verse 12. Let's go back to what he says. He says, put on then. As God's chosen and, uh, and holy and beloved, he said, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. And he says this, listen, I, I want you, because of who you are, here's what I want you to do. And he tells them, don't remind them who they are, he tells them what they must put on. That's the second thing I want you to write on. He tells them what they must put on. Now, I want you to understand this clearly. If he's telling them to put it on, that's because it's not part of their life currently, right? Are you with me on that? It's like this morning when you got out of bed, you put on your clothes, right? Right? That was not a trick question. And we're all so thankful for that. You put on clothes, hopefully you didn't sleep in all night, right? But you put on deodorant prayerfully. You brushed your teeth. You, did, you put things on. Why? Because they weren't on. And Paul says, listen, as chosen ones, holy and who are the object of my affection, I want you to put some things on. I know you've got to put some things to death. I know you've got to put some things aside, but here's what I want you to put on. And he lists five things that I want you to write about. Here's the first one. He says, compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. Compassionate heart means caring for those who are struggling. It's legitimately caring for those who struggle. Compassion. If you have a compassionate heart, you are caring for those who struggle. That means you don't have a heart that's apathetic. You know what apathy is, right? I just don't care. And we say it like this, you know, we'll see somebody struggling and, we'll, and an apathetic heart will say something like this. Well, they brought that on themselves, right? Right? You know, we, they, they are their own worst enemy, right? I mean, we say things that really reflect, we, we want them to take responsibility, but really it's a reflection of our apathy. And Paul says, listen, here's what I want. I want you to put on Compassionate. I want you to care about those who are struggling. That means I want you not only to see their struggle, I want you to sympathize, I want you to empathize, and I want you to do something about it. Are you with me on that, church? See, a few of I mean, a year ago, we defined compassion, and I want to remind you of how I define it. Compassion is when sympathy and empathy, sympathy means I hate that for you, empathy means I've been there, when sympathy and empathy leads to activity. See, if we feel for them, 
and we've been there, and we do nothing. That's not compassion. In fact, we see this in the life of Jesus. In John chapter 11, Jesus shows up on the scene. He's gotten word from Mary and Martha, two people that Jesus loved. He ate at their house. He got to hang out with them. They found out that their brother, Lazarus, had died. And they sent word to Jesus because they knew that Jesus could do something. And we know the story. Jesus didn't show up when Jesus they thought he should have shown up. In fact, he waited four days later, right? So in Jewish culture, Lazarus wasn't just dead. He was what? He was dead, dead, right? I mean, he was like dead, dead, decay. I mean, there was, there was no hope for him. And as Jesus shows up on the scene, Martha comes out. She says, Jesus, man, if, if you'd been here. Now, was she struggling? Yes, yeah, she was. How did Jesus respond to her? What does what, what the shortest verse in the Bible say? And Jesus wept. Do you think Jesus had a compassionate heart toward Martha and Mary? He, look, he knew what he was about to do. He knew that he was about to show out and show up in a way that would blow the world away, that would happen. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we're talking about the story. When he stood at the tomb of Lazarus, and he just simply said, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man came back to life. He knew what he was going to do. But he still saw the struggle, and there was some sympathy and empathy, and it led to this point of where we saw his activity. And I'm just telling you, Paul says, I want you to put on compassion hearts. You know why? Hear me. You know why? Because it doesn't come natural for you. Compassion hearts doesn't come natural for us. Most of us have this attitude of selfishness. Most of us have this attitude that the world revolves around who? Us. We live with the, the worldly trinity. It's not the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It is me, myself, and I, right? I mean, that's how many of us navigate our lives. Say, listen, I want you to put on a compassionate heart because it doesn't come natural for you. I want you to clothe yourselves with a heart that is truly caring about those who struggle. Do you have a compassionate heart this morning? Here's what I know. It doesn't come natural, does it? Because I'm about you, but I like the way I like things. I like passing through life and going from point A to point B and not being distracted, not being sidelined, not being interrupted. But can I tell you one thing? When I read this book, what I see over and over and over again, God is a God of interruptions all the time. Can you imagine Mary at 13 years of age, 12 or 13, hanging out one day and all of a sudden the angel shows up and says, hey, by the way, you're going to birth the Son of God? Why? I mean, was that an interruption in Mary's life? Sure. What about Joseph? Can you imagine hearing that story, right? Hey, she's going to have a baby. It's not of another man. It's of the Holy Spirit. Just want you to know that, Joseph. You think that was an interruption in his day? Sure it was. God is a God of interruptions. And he says, so I want you, because it doesn't come natural, I want you to put on compassion hearts. Then he says this, I want you to put on kindness. Kindness is a concern for a neighbor's well-being. In other words, you are caring as much for others as you care for yourself, right? You're caring as much for other people as you care for yourself. When you have a kindness in your heart, it has a mindset of others first. That's kindness, meaning I'm willing to set aside my desires, my needs, and my wants to help address and meet their needs, their desires, and what they need for their life. That's kindness. Now Paul says here, I want you to put it on. You know why? Because it doesn't come natural. 
It's not part of our nature. We have a sin nature we battle, and kindness is not part of it. And when you think about caring for others, you know, the reality is most of us struggle with that. I mean, we're like, we're like savage beasts. I mean, it's all about us. It's about what we want. It's about what we think. It's about what we want to do. I mean, we're not minded toward other people. It's not about just being concerned about them. We need to care about them. Listen, do we legitimately care about other people? And the reality is, he says, you need to put this on because it doesn't come natural for you. It's not part of your nature. So put it on. Put on a compassionate heart where you are caring for those who struggle. Put on kindness where you're concerned for a neighbor's well-being. And then he says this, I want you to put on humility. Do you know what the word humility means? It means having a sense of our own smallness. Think about that. Humility means having an awareness or sense of our own smallness or littleness. Humility means I'm willing because I know that I am not the end all of everything, that I'm not, I'm not the most important. I mean, humility says I'm willing to place myself under somebody else. I'm willing to place myself under someone's authority, under someone's leadership. Humility says that I have a heart filled with gratitude, not a heart filled with arrogance and pride. And you know what Paul says? I want you to put on humility. You know why Paul would say that? Because it doesn't come natural to us, right? I don't know about you, but I love listening. I used to love listening to different preachers. And I used to get tickled at when you hear stories. Have you ever heard a preacher? Hopefully it's not me. If it is, don't, don't, don't say amen because I think it's me. But have you ever listened to preachers that are always the hero of their own stories? You ever heard somebody like that? I mean, they tell a story in the end, man, they just, they nailed it. I mean, they nailed it. They told the story right. Well, is that humility or is that arrogance? It's arrogance. Now, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we have people, have you ever known somebody, arrogance shows up that way. It also shows up, have you ever known somebody that you would tell a story about your family and they've got a story better than your story? Now, if you're not aiming in with me here, you're the one we're talking about. (laughs) And we know you, right? See, he says, listen, I want you to put on a sense of humor. I want you to know where you fit into the economy of God. I want you to know what David knew, that who am I that God is even mindful of me? I want you to know that you are just nothing more than a blip on God's eternal plan and God's story, but you are part of his story. And he wants to use you, but you need to be aware of your smallness. You need to have a sense of gratitude in your heart, not a sense of arrogance or pride. And see, in the Greek culture with which this is written, this, this Hellenistic culture, this word humility would have been viewed as weak, I mean, if you're humble, you're a weak person. And Paul says, the very thing I want you to be is humble. And I want you to put it on. Guess why? Because it doesn't come natural to us, right? Pride comes natural. Arrogance comes natural. He said, I want you to put on a compassion heart. I want you to put on kindness. And I want you to put on humility. Then he mentions this word, the word meekness. Do you remember that? Meekness. The word meekness means to have a mild disposition or a gentle spirit. A mild disposition or gentle spirit. Someone who has put meekness on is someone who can exhibit self-control. They would rather suffer injury than inflict injury on someone else. Someone who is meek is someone who's got a gentle spirit, a mild disposition, and someone who truly is at that place that they can exhibit self-control. And guess what Paul tells them? I want you to put on meekness. Now, why would he tell them that? Come on, I've said it every time. Why would he say that? 
because it doesn't come natural to us. It's not part of our nature to put on meekness. It's not part of our nature to be self-control. I don't know about you, but there's sometimes in my life I feel like I'm greatly out of control. Anybody else like that? He says, listen, when you put on meekness, you're saying, I'm bring, I have this mild disposition, this gentle spirit where I'm bringing my life under self-control. And because I am around people and people hurt me, I would rather suffer injury than inflict injury to anybody else. Even when I'm right, I would rather suffer it than inflict it. Do you have a meek spirit this morning? Have you put on meekness? And then he gives one more thing here. He says, he says, put on, it's your favorite word, patience. So put on compassion hearts, put on kindness, humility, meekness. And then he says, put on patience. You know what patience is? Patience is the ability to harness our emotions and to wait and to endure. Now, if you have kids, your patience have been tried, haven't they? If you're married, your patience has been tried, hasn't it? We all have struggled with this. And then some of us are so bold to pray for patience, right? And we know that when you pray for patience, the only way to build patience is what? Through perseverance, right? So patience is this ability to control our emotions, to harness them, and to wait and to endure. Just a really quick question. Is patience hard? You know what, I thought about this last night as I, was, as I was praying over this. I thought, you know, patience is hard. You know why? Because we live in an instant world, don't we? We live in an instant world. That's why the drive throughs I mean, I, I order at this window, and in 45 seconds, I expect to have it at that window. That's what, right? I mean, are you with me on that? I mean, we have, listen, we even have instant potatoes. I mean, it's, we don't have to peel potatoes. We don't have to bake them. We get this little powdery substance. We throw it in, throw a little milk in it, whip it up, and it's potatoes, right? I mean, it's instant. Right now, 30 seconds, you can have potatoes. And on top of that, we have Amazon, right? If you want it at your doorstep tomorrow, order by 2 p.m. today, and it's there tomorrow, right? I mean, we live in an instantaneous world, so we battle patience because patience sometimes says, I have to wait and be still and endure persevere. See, here's what I would say about maybe many people that are Christians, and maybe many of you here today, many of you men have found yourself praying and asking God to speak to you and to give you some insight and to do a miracle work in your life, and you would say, Doug, today God's done nothing. Well, listen, don't take his delay as his denial always. Just because he's delaying doesn't mean he's denying. He might say no, or he might say not yet. We need to have some patience. Paul says, listen, if we as chosen people of God, as holy people, as beloved people, if we are going to live a life that reflects Christ, we've got to put some things to death. We've got to put some things aside. But listen to me, we've got to put some things on. We have to clothe ourselves with compassion. We have to clothe ourselves with kindness. We have to clothe ourselves with meekness. We've got to clothe ourselves with humility. And we've got to clothe ourselves with patience. Why? Because it's those things that build unity into the body of Christ. Because guess what? There's going to be somebody in this room today that you're going to struggle being patient with. And it may be me. But we're still called to put patience on, right? There may be somebody in this room that's going to hurt you, but you're still called to be meek and to have a gentle spirit and a, and a mild disposition. See, he says, listen, I want you to put these things on because these are the things that can build and strengthen the body of Christ. And then Paul ends with one more thing I want you to notice, and it's this. He tells them, here, he shows them the outcome of putting these things on. Look at me in verse 13. He says this, bearing with one another, 
And if one has complained against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Paul says, listen, don't ever forget who you are. Notice what you've got to put on. But here's what he says. I want you to know the outcome of putting these things on. He gives them two outcomes. Number one, we're more likely and willing to bear with one another. When we put these things on that Paul's talked about, we are more willing to bear with one another. Here's what I mean. We're more willing to put up with one another. Now, I'm not talking about putting up with people's false doctrine. I'm not talking about that. But we're more willing to put up with and be understanding of people's bad behavior. Are you with me on that? Because people act in a way they shouldn't act. And if we put these things on, listen, instead of coming with a hand of judgment and a hand of condemnation, we're going to come with a hand of love and compassion and grace and mercy, all the very things we want when we blow it too, right? He says, listen, if you put these things on, it's going to help you begin to bear with one another. And he says this, you're more likely to be willing to forgive one another. See, here's what I'm learning and continue to learn and have learned in the Christian faith is that when I bear with other people that are believers, you tend to get hurt sometimes, right? And when I get hurt and you get hurt, what's our first defense? Shut down, right? Second defense, I get angry. Third defense, I'm done with them, right? I mean, you just keep following the trail there. But listen, if I put these things on, it reminds me of my responsibility in the body of Christ. And I'm not only willing to bear with them, but when I bear with them, they hurt me. It gives me a willingness to forgive them. Why? I forgive them, and I'm able to cancel their debt, and I'm able to show them grace. Why? Because that's what was done for me, right? Isn't that what Jesus did for you? You were wretched, you were pitiful, you were rebellious, you were an enemy of God, and when you said yes to Christ, he forgave you of your sins. And we forgive others, listen, because we have been what? forgiven. He says, listen, when we do these things, here's the outcome. And I want you to know this. The thing that he told the church of Colossae is true for us as well. I want you to know this morning that if you're a follower of Jesus, you are chosen by God. If you're a follower of Christ, you are called to be holy and you are beloved. You are the object of his affection. For some of you, that's all you needed this morning. You needed to hear that. But also want you to know, because we're chosen, because we're holy, and because we're the object of his affection, we need to make sure that we're putting on the right virtues in our life. We need to make sure that we're putting on the right things. And the th- question I have for you is, which one of these things that we're to put on do you need to put on this morning? Which one of these things, like, okay, I, I kind of I put on the meekness thing, but patience, man, I, I don't have anything to do with patience. I don't want anything to do with patience or compassion or heart, Doug. I'm too busy to stop and be compassionate. I'm asking you, which one? If we're going to put the right things on, which one do you need to put on this morning? See, here's what I know about Doug. When I don't put these things on in my life, I'm less likely to bear with somebody. When I don't put these things on in my life, I'm less likely to forgive somebody. So there's a lot at stake relationally, and there's a lot at stake spiritually. So I'm asking you this morning, out of the five things, a compassionate heart, kindness, meekness, humility, and patience, which one of these five, if not all five, do you need to put on this morning? And in just a minute, we're going to sing, and this altar is going to be open, and maybe you want to get before a holy God, and you want to get on your knees and say, God, I, I need more compassion in my life. God, I need more kindness in my life. You've been kind to me. Help me be kind to others. God, I need more humility. I need more meekness. God, I need more patience. Whatever you're struggling with, will you choose, listen, to put it on? Because that word put on, listen, it literally is a voluntary effort on your part.
you choose to put it on or not. And then maybe you're here this morning and say, you know what, I do not have a relationship with Christ. Here's what I want you to know this morning, more than anything else, that God has never written you off. That he still loves you and his forgiveness is offered even to you. And all you have to do is just trust him. All you have to do is surrender your life to him. And would you be willing to do that this morning? So I'm going to ask you right now, would everybody across the room, would you just stand with me? Everybody stand up. And I'm going to ask you to with every head to be bowed and every eye just to be closed as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the words of Paul. God, I pray for everybody in the room that these words would pierce their heart like it has been piercing my heart. Lord, for some of us in the room, we just need to be reminded who we are. It's easy to let that old enemy, when we're dealing with sin in our life and addressing things we need to put to death and put aside, it's so easy to let that enemy have a voice that tells us that we're not worth anything, that we're terrible, that we're pitiful. But Lord, we need to be reminded that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and because that our identity is found in Christ. We are chosen. We are holy. But the greatest of all is we are beloved. We are the object of your affection, Lord, and we praise you and we thank you for that this morning. But God, I pray for us as believers that as we take some things off, as we put some things aside, that we'd also recognize what we need to put on this morning. And Lord, your word tells us five things that we need to make sure is part of our life, Lord. And if we're struggling with that, if there's some things that we've not put on that's keeping us from being the follower of Christ we're called to be, Lord, may we confess that today. May we get on our knees or sit in our chair and say, Lord, I need more of whatever it is. And I choose today before I leave, I'm choosing to put on compassion. I'm choosing to put on kindness. I'm choosing to put on humility. I'm choosing to put on meekness. I'm choosing to put on patience, Lord. God, may we really make that choice this morning, realizing that in doing that, we're more likely to bear with one another. We're more likely to forgive one another. We're more likely to help maintain the unity of the body of Christ when we put these things on. So God, I pray for every believer that you would maybe bring one of those things to mind that we struggle with and we would make that choice today. And then God, maybe I pray for that person, Lord, that that doesn't know you. May they be reminded this morning, just as believers have been forgiven and need to forgive, that you're willing to forgive them of their sin. It doesn't matter how bad they are or how much they've done or how far they've run from you. All they need to do, Lord, is just say, Jesus, be my boss and master. Take my sin. Change my life. And forgive me. And Lord, if they'll pray that, all of heaven will erupt. And you will change their life and you will change their eternity. So God, I pray for that person who needs to make that decision. May we all be faithful this morning, Lord, to respond as your spirit is leading us. For it's in your precious and your glorious and majestic and holy and praiseworthy son's name we pray. Jesus, amen, amen. If you need to come, this altar is open.